everyone, welcome to Mech and Matter. I'm your host, Clarice Chan, and today I'll be interviewing Dr. Angelica Science Treviso, a research and development engineer at UCLA. Hi, Dr. Science, thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be talking to you. So, let's start off by talking about your experience with science growing up. So, you have a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, master's degree in manufacturing systems, and a PhD in material science. So. How did you get interested in each of these three sciences and how did an education on all three of these help to get you to where you are today? I will try to make a long story short. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I was growing up, I didn't really have much of uh, interaction with scientists or any other professionals in the field. However, my dad was a mechanical engineer mm. and he was a designer, so he was making up rims for cars. So when I was watch him working, uh, it, it made me wonder like, oh, I wish I could develop this or I, could, I would like to create this and that. I would like to have a car with my name mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it made me like dream. But that was the only interaction I had. However, I also had encyclopedias and I knew that I liked reading them. So mm-hmm. when I was getting home, I was like, okay, I will read this Larousse encyclopedia and I learning the topics, about foods, about animals. So I think that was my main interaction. And I did sports, I did music, I did all kinds of things. So it was a little bit of everything, right? But I knew I wanted to be a mechanical engineer because of my dad. Mm. So it was almost certain that by the time I to high school, I was going to be a mechanical engineer. However, I started getting more interested in architecture or uh, just design, like illustrations, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I had like doubts and I didn't really know what to do. But because of my father, I said, okay, I will pursue this dream. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know what was going on. Uh-huh. So, and actually, the hometown I grew up in Mexico is a small town and it, back then there were very few universities offering uh, like programs like that. So there were only two universities and two were, uh, the two of them were public and one of them was uh, a private school which, which was very expensive so what, out of my league right? Mm-hmm. So I went to the public one which was the best one. and. I got in. The first moment I got in, uh, and the first day, math was like all over, right? Uh-huh. And because I didn't really have much background like in science, math. I I liked stuff. I liked learning, and I was always very good at school. But after that point, then I realized how much math, physics, and chemistry mm-hmm. it was important. So I did a little bit of struggle, but only the first semester mm-hmm. and then everything went fine yeah everything was very smooth i liked it i learned a lot then you i started learning about the different subjects like thermodynamics mm-hmm. like mechanical properties of materials also uh, mechanical design uh, mechanical vibrations which is which people may not realize how important it is because if something is vibrating it might just break mm-hmm. and it fails yeah right? So when you are designing, you have to consider all these things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I also realized that most of the people at uh, most of the uh, professors and teachers over there, they do not have like a very wide vision. So it's very small because they all grew up, born and raised in the same area. So they are just passing the knowledge and they just tell you, oh, when you graduate, you will be working in this company or you will be working here. They they never tell you like, oh, you can dream, dream big and probably you will be like a, a PhD or you will be yeah. a scientist. Or, so yeah. it was kind of hard. So I, I started wondering yeah. why these people are just so close-minded, right? Yeah. And uh, one day I was passing school and I saw a poster saying that they were uh, accepting applications for a science like a like a science summer mm. and I applied mm-hmm. and then I got in but I was so lucky that I got in because not many people applied so it was not because <laughs> I was so it was very interesting but uh-huh. for me I was lucky right uh-huh. then with the time and speaking with people then I learned I was the only mechanical engineering uh, mm. person there. Everyone was uh, biochemistry or chemistry, so it was. I was very off the, mm-hmm. the team. Yeah. Right? But it opened my mind so much because there I met. I, I had to travel to another city, and there was a research center focused on science at the nanoscale. Mm-hmm. So it was very. I don't know, it was like a boom in my head mm-hmm. because I met these kids the same age and they already had their life figured out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I want to develop pharmaceuticals for this or I want to heal, I don't know, I want to uh, develop something for treating cancer, tools mm-hmm. for developing this or manipulating that. And I was like, oh my God, in my town, there is only factories and that's it, mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. So that's why if, People come from small towns, they need to interact, search, speak with people, right? Back then also internet was not a thing, right? So it was very hard to get information or to get like, even if you wanted to get knowledge or get familiar with some topics, it was kind of hard because Mm. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, this TV show called Ben 15. No, not yet. That one, you, you can watch it. It's very interesting because basically it was like that. We were connecting to the computer and then our computer was like ding, 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 just making this sound, uh-huh. trying to, to get to the internet. So it was very slow, very hard. Mm. Okay, so then I met these kids and then I said, okay, there's another world. Mm. So then I started digging. And then by the end, uh, by almost by the end of my bachelor's degree, I also applied to become an intern and I, uh, I got a scholarship and I went to Seattle and I mm. worked as a boy faculty over there. Wow. So also over there you meet people to see different cultures, people yeah. from like all fields mm-hmm. working in the same thing because yeah. they had a goal, right? Uh-huh. Like to make an airplane fly safely and mm-hmm. everything is like, everything it matters. So when I came back after that, then I said, okay, but uh, because I was mainly oriented like to design and mechanical design, so I said, okay, manufacturing. So I want to develop uh, like 
big machines that can mm. make this process run or run if you tell me oh i want a piece that needs this shape this size develop a machine that does that so mm-hmm. i was still into that field right so that's how i got into the program and my advisor luckily he was uh, working at the research center in, in mexico mm-hmm. and he did some uh, work in thin films antibacterial thin films mm. so then he told me you know what maybe i can take you there we can make like a joint uh, project mm. you can work with another student you can develop a, a process for running uh, tiles and coating them with antibacterials other person, Carlos, was working at this tile company, so we kind of engaged with the company, so they facilitated some uh, of the staff machine, materials, and, and yeah. even people. We actually got hand, like people working with us. But, because he was at that company, he was mainly in charge of setting up everything, right? But I was the brain, so I had to go to this lab with very, probably not limited I, I liked it and I knew a lot of stuff, but it was not like working like working in a lab. Mm-hmm. So I had to prepare solutions and then set up like instruments and then just make the films and then learn what is the film made of. Yeah. What's the shape, what's the size, like different constraints, right? Because at the nanoscale materials behave completely different. Mm-hmm. The properties are completely different. We know that. So And because I was so ignorant of the field, then I started going to all the labs and asking, oh, how can I do this? How can I do that? So Mm -hmm. people know me because I was always asking and curious and, oh, can I learn about this? Can I learn about this? And people got very friendly and they allowed me to use their tools. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got skilled with uh, a lot of tool instruments. Mm -hmm. And I think mechanical engineering opened my because I'm very skilled in manipulating stuff mm-hmm. so I'm very uh, careful I do not break with the safety and stuff and also the details of working with very sophisticated million mm-hmm. dollars of uh, machines right? yeah so because I was careful people allowed me to still work with that so for me when they opened that to me it was like wow yeah so I want to follow this uh-huh. right and that's how I ended up being a material scientist. Wow. Yeah. And wow. Uh, then a postdoc got me into USC. And then after that, I worked at a startup company, which that one is completely different to uh, being in academia because you have to apply everything that you know, engineering and scientific background mm-hmm. in a single thing. Yeah. So that is um, very... For my career, I think that has been very important because it got to the point where I could apply my skills as, as from an engineering background, but also a scientific background. Yeah. Wow. And then I got <laughs> Wow. So you talked about working with a company um, to make these tiles. So is that kind of rare for a student like to be able to work with the company and not just solely doing research in a lab? at such a young age? Well, I was not that young, <laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not easy, but it's not impossible. Mm. This is, you need to get in the, you get, you need to get to the point where you work with the right people. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. because this guy, the, the, this colleague, we were both studying like the masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the same program, so we were. And because he was e- actually working for the company, it was much easier. Yeah. Right? And and because I learned everything then from the lab, I was able to say I need this and this and that, and he got everything, and mm-hmm. we both assembled everything. Yeah. And then the workers they actually helped us a lot. They were like, okay, no, you you cannot because I don't know if you know how the tile works, uh, how you make a tile process works. So basically, you have a lot of like. Um, the primer, the primary, or the the starting materials, the raw materials, they are like different sunny, uh, types of clays and different, uh, like you can pigments and even rocks and stuff like depending on what you want, right? Yeah. So then you grind them, mix them, and then you mix, uh, you mix them with some like a glutenin to make them stick, mm. and then you bake them. Mm. Once you bake them, then you apply whatever color or texture you want to the surface, and then yeah. you bake them again to dry the paint, and then it goes up, and then you let it cool. So running in that, it required like I think it was eight hundred Celsius for us the process wow. to run. So it, it was like super hot. It was like, and then we had to be super careful, right? And because. In order for you to prepare the chemical precursors to deposit the tin films, you need solvents, mainly alcohol or acetone. Those can ignite super mm-hmm. easy if you don't have the the right exhaust capabilities, right? So that was kind of scary because I said, okay, maybe we can die in fire here, like, right? Roasted yeah. years. But it was uh, actually very, very interesting. And when we saw the result, then actually uh, had a chance to wait for the tiles to not come out and then I cut them in pieces and then I made some experiments mm. so back then the, I think 13 years ago organic dyes were still uh, testing for uh, photocatalytic activity mm-hmm. nowadays it's not because the, uh, it was discovered that the, the path is not actually what you really want to study right mm. so the dyes actually they can get um, transparent uh, and do not break the bones apart so they can just have a reaction where the hydrogen uh, modifies the way they absorb light so yeah it's not really breaking the molecule it's just uh, like a temporary manipulation of the molecule right Mm -hmm. and uh, so it was very exciting however because it requires a lot of things that the process our process didn't really go for the Probably people can do it now in companies in a a much cheaper and efficient way. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, probably, I don't know if you've seen commercial dyes being antibacterial. It's not a a thing, right? So there are limitations. So part of being a scientist and also an engineer is that to a point you need to know where something is viable economically and also how good it's going to perform for how long. Yeah. So if it's not lasting, people would not be interested, right? Yeah. So probably it's easier if you just buy a chemical solution which will be antibacterial and you just spray it up yeah. the surface. So it's, it will be much cheaper. Yeah. So that's <laughs> So you kind of went between degrees kind of like in a chain you got inspired by one thing and you went to the next thing so why do you value interdisciplinary studies well actually
actually that's a very important topic right now because one field if you enclose your brain in one field you will not find the answers for the problems that you might be having yeah so right now I don't know if you have seen the collaboration between professors and universities so people that are experts in different areas they make groups right yeah so that I think that's a very efficient way to find uh, creative cheaper easiest uh, mm. and visible uh, solutions to problems yeah like in medicine right now and, and which is part of why I like working here because we as engineers and scientists or material scientists or chemists we see the side only one side of stuff mm. but then let's say one professor ha- wants to make a sensor for glucose or to measure a, a, like a bio substance so then both of them can talk and they say I need this mm. how yeah. do I get to that and yeah. then there is you need to make the connection so yeah. that's why it is so important to be open to receive knowledge from different areas and yeah. I think that's also for me a challenge because most of the people are very focused. Oh, I want to become an expert in this. But then you are just enclosing your brains to something. So you need to expand. Right? Yeah. And for me, people sometimes do not do not accept that I, I like the fact of learning from different fields. So because, oh, no, 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 you need to be an expert. And it's not being an expert in many, many things, just knowing at least the basics. Yeah. Right? So you can say, oh, I saw this might be working for this bio project or oh in this physics project it could work or stuff like that yeah yeah so the three of the biggest routes for stem is industry research and academia so can you talk about your experiences in each of them i know you worked for a startup a little bit um i'm sure you did a lot of research so can you talk a little bit about each of them and why you ultimately chose to be where you are today well I think it's not only about choosing. I think it's like where life is <laughs> getting yeah. you. Yeah. So I really like teaching. Mm-hmm. I really like um, interacting with students, and I had the opportunity to interact and teach courses at the university level. And uh, I like also like science fairs where I can do like quick demonstrations. Yeah. My, I like that. I like when people learn and get to something else that there might be something else that interacts uh, I'm sorry that uh, brightens their idea like their mind or their yeah. desires and dreams in academia or in educational systems uh, you have to focus a lot on what are you what are the things that you want to pass to other generations mm. right and to make sure that they engage in the class and the subject and it's more about creating professionals that with certain skills and knowledge and mm-hmm. pass them out, like like the that spark for them to learn by themselves right because when you learn by yourself it's also very good you can learn a lot of stuff in uh, research it's also a bit of training people but it's mainly about getting like answer questions like why yeah. this is happening and you need to be very, very curious and pay a lot of 
uh, attention to all the details. Yeah. And uh, I think I like it a lot, research, especially because I like handling things with my hands and doing and mixing and okay, now I can do this. No, but what if what happens if I, if I do that? So yeah. for me, that's like, it blows my mind. I yeah. really, really like that. In industry, you can get the chance to solve problems, but is you have always a concern about make it cheaper, mm. make it uh, lasting, make it safer. Yeah. So when in research you care about how do you get the proper solution, you probably care about making it safe, uh, slightly cheaper. But if the you cannot replace one material. Yeah. With another that is cheaper, you cannot. So you don't really pay attention to most of the like the price. Like in industry, yeah. it's a requirement, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but if you saw it, but in the tree, I I talk about okay, working with people, working with materials in the hands, and then getting answers and fabricating stuff. Mm -hmm. Right now, at this point of my career. I don't, I don't consider that I have reached the highest point in my life because I think I'm, I'm still very curious yeah. and I think I need to do more. Mm -hmm. But here I have a combination of, I can interact with students like you, yeah. I can teach them, I can uh, show them what can be done or what yeah. cannot be done, right? And from time to time I get to see people working with yeah. It's also very important, but also we service industry people and they have completely different needs from what people in academia need. So I see all of them right? yeah. and everyone has a different desire because of the needs and that's very interesting and you get to, right now I think I, I know a little bit of each of them Yeah, <laughs> and combining them is very I don't know, it's just like, sometimes it's hard yeah. because you need, it's like going to the doctor, like a, do, uh, like a single uh, physician can see different people and different people have different pains, right? Levels yeah. of pain. So you need to deal with all of them yeah. and only one person has to do it, right? So it's kind of like like that, yeah. like how, how can you respond to all these different uh, environments that yeah. I get? So I think right now I get, I get all of like a little bit of like education, uh, a little bit of like ex like hands-on experience, and it's like I get to solve problems and also like interaction with people about okay how this needs to be done efficiently and it needs to be done now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before we talk a little bit about your work, I also noticed that you did some outreach with some underprivileged students. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that experience meant to you and why is outreach important to you? Okay, so for that, outreach for me is very special because I was born and raised in Mexico in a city called Chihuahua, which is at the north of part of Mexico, very close to the border with Texas. Mm. And over there, even though we are very close, we're still a very small town. Yeah. Still very, very small. And growing up, we I didn't have many, many things. And 
and I always when I started realizing how important it is to open your mind to yeah. different things I started caring for those that are behind me yeah because I am sure that if I had like if I was grown up right now in this if I went to college this time probably I would have studied something else mm. why because motivation you need motivation you need different perspectives yeah. different views so I care about people learning from stuff like for me it's very important when I go to like an outreach event and then that is dedicated especially for kids yeah. that come with their parents yeah. why because when I'm doing a demonstration like I like working with optics and there is this experiments that experiment that you have with the gummy bears and lasers mm. and they brighten yeah so the kids when they are seeing you do the demonstrations they get like oh yeah this happened because of that because they are kind of yeah but they're you have to see the face of their parents they probably never heard why the plants are green because the light is reflecting and yeah. the, the light that gets reflected is the one that is getting to your eyes uh, and the, uh, that is transferred into that information right so yeah seeing people learn stuff is very is very good and when their parents uh, learn these things then then they can motivate their kids oh let's look about let's search on the internet about this mm. why this happened and then the curiosity and then they can pass this yeah work, right yeah so i like that kind of work uh -huh. and my idea is just to make people be aware of the world around and yeah. there are millions of possibilities and even right now like the space right like the space you can go beyond mm -hmm. so it's not whatever we have on earth it's also what we can do out mm -hmm. in space yeah also i was not uh i didn't come from a family that was wealthy so i only went to public schools which is very good because that means my public schools were very good mm -hmm. because I had very amazing teachers, mm -hmm. amazing teachers. With, they had a passion for teaching. They, they had a passion for people learning. But I also had not very good teachers. I were like very close-minded. Oh, when you graduate, you will only work at this company, and that's it. Like seeing you as a robot yeah. instead of as a person with dreams and desires, right? Yeah. So because. I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't want people to think that because they don't have the resources, there is no other way. Yeah. So I have also uh, funded kids. Like mm. I paid for the tuition. Like I started gathering money, like funds from my friends. So I have a group of friends. They support all my crazy ideas and they help me. And when I say, okay, let's fund this school or let's fund this group of kids, and then we accept applications, we read their needs, and then you say, okay, I can support this area, I can support this area, and that. But there is something one. There is one thing that is very very sad for me. Some kids, their problem is not the main problem even getting food a warm mm, food yeah so one time when i got applications it made me cry because one of the questions for the application is oh what is uh, what would you like to have at home there were answers like a bed warm food yeah 
food on my fridge. Imagine how I felt that I was worried about them having books for going to school, like a uniform, like like a backpack. But their main need was food yeah. or a bed. Yeah. So then I started helping, you know, the area of like mm-hmm. providing food for the people on the streets yeah. and that. So there are many ways you can help. Of course you will not one person will not solve all the problems in the world, but I'm trying to contribute a little bit. So yeah. I try to do my part in education because I have the background and because I have uh, probably some privilege and then I can help others motivate, but I can also empower those that are in the lowest level and yeah. say, look, if I got here, you can do it. Yeah. And there are many ways. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. So I also do some outreach with my robotics team to like younger students, but I've never thought about it as outreach to their parents as well. I think that's really cool. And uh, so if you like motivating their parents, like there is something that you can do, especially for uh, underrepresented populations in the US. Mm. When I was at USC, they had uh, this uh, program for serving Latin or African-American people. Mm -hmm. And it's also very nice because then you get to talk with the parents of kids that they probably came as immigrants yeah and then they see the possibility of oh my kid can go to school yeah to college that's something something very very cool and when you talk to them like okay you can apply to this program and this program because most of them since they don't speak english they they don't understand what are Mm -hmm. the programs that are being offered or how they can get access so if you can pass that knowledge to them that would be amazing yeah yeah that's really cool So let's talk a little bit about your work. So you work in the CNSI, the California Nano Systems Institute at UCLA. So first, what do you do as a research and development engineer? So how is working at UCLA different from working in, say, a national lab or working in a private research company or even in some like industrial company? Well, here, because we get uh, people from all kinds of environments, like students, researchers, and companies that big or small so they all come to find a solution for a problem and probably they don't have all the capabilities in their lab so they outsource us right so they come here and they use our manpower but also mainly our tools right yeah let's say uh, you as a company you you have this bright idea and oh I want to develop this but most of your factory is being used for other projects Mm. so you need to come to smaller place and outsource it, yeah. right? So you, you can develop your product and test it and see if it will really work and then you can, now that you have the, the, the final process or at, at least a tentative process, then you can go to, back to your factory and apply it. Yeah. That's something you can do. Yeah. But also for research, here uh, the students come and they develop their project and then they, they go for some other like startups, they they do everything here. They come, test, and then they, they sell, right? They, they sell their idea to so working here is, as I said before, is very interesting because you get to to see different problems, mm-hmm. uh, like the rainbow of problems for all people. But here, the main task is make people um, feel that they have everything that they need to work here. Mm-hmm. So the tools need to be running. If one tool is not running, 
then people will go and will do something else. So our job is to make sure that we provide everything that is needed for the tool to be running on time and like reliable and mm-hmm. yeah, so they can use it efficiently, right? And also we provide like some tricks, like some people like uh, they don't let's say they need to apply a polymer on the surface but they don't know which one so then you can say okay if you do this it will be helpful because it's easier to develop like the you can get commercial uh, developers to, to remove the, the potencies mm-hmm. or if you do it this way it might be cheaper because then you can edge it you can do different products. so you can provide also that kind yeah. of like tricks mm-hmm. for the people to, yeah. to make it their job yeah but here, I also I'm also in charge of like the safety because a lot of people they are not aware that working with chemicals is dangerous, right? Mm. And especially because people when they come from they come from an engineering background with very little knowledge in chemistry, yeah. chemistry like it happened to me when I started, you don't realize like oh I have hydrofluoric acid and I can pour it blah 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 in a beaker made out of glass. No no no, you need to make sure that people know that mm. hydrochloric acid of, or HF is dangerous, why it's dangerous, mm. this is a shared facility, you, you cannot be around the lab jumping with the chemicals, yeah. so that kind of stuff. Yeah. And also to make sure that we are all properly gowned mm. and clean, so we do not contaminate the work from others or our own work. Yeah. So that's also wow. part of the thing. Wow. So, it sounds like you have a lot of background and knowledge in like how each of the machines work. Is that true? Like, do you know how the ins and outs of each of the machines in in the lab? Well, not all of them. And actually, my knowledge is very limited. I have used like etchers uh, that are made out to remove material from the surface. I have used uh, spin coders. I have used uh, evaporators that can uh, create in films of different. Mm materials like metals or offsets but even the polishers maybe they look simple but it's an entire world behind it so I don't think and actually it requires you were asking me about interdisciplinary work Mm -hmm. even one single etcher they work with different you need to uh, input some gases then uh, apply uh, a letter electromagnetic field so you ionize the gases so you require chemistry knowledge physics mm. knowledge electrical like and mechanical knowledge mm-hmm. so it's a combination of stuff one person one professional could not develop that tool so yeah. it's a combination of all the things to make the process work yeah so i don't have all the knowledge and all that i know a little bit but uh and actually it can be very dangerous it's dangerous if you try to fix one of them without really knowing yeah. So each tool has a dedicated stuff to mm. it. Yeah. So what does a day in your life look like? Well, <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Every day is different. Sometimes, uh, like I go into the lab, I just make sure that everything is in order, in place, no chemical spills, like people behave. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, everything around the lab is properly working. That the tools, all of them are running. That the backup systems like the chillers and the mechanical pumps are not uh, leaking into the mm-hmm. floor and checking like the general checklist that the tools are fine and then just making sure that we have all the chemicals all the resources that 
all the systems are working fine. So it's basically like checking and making sure that I can provide everything to like people. Oh, can I buy bike or assist? Okay, let's go choose which one do you need? And yeah, like just provide like support. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of interaction with the people. It's just checking always. Like if you come to the lab, because I work in both labs. So uh, the nano lab has two locations one in Indian Union 4 building and one yeah. at CMSI so I work in both so my day is running between both labs wow. so sometimes people see me there and then I come to the other lab you were not in your yeah. lab so yeah it's, it's kind of funny but yeah. it's like that wow so are you currently conducting any research or is there any research that you did conduct in previous years that you think is really interesting that you want to share yes so actually in my free time <laughs> so i do collaborate with my friends in mexico because I, when i went to the when i pursued my phd i went to a research center and that is uh, called the advanced materials research center mm. so they develop all kinds of materials from the nanoscale to the microscale and i still collaborate with them Mm. So they send me the data, mm -hmm. and then I do the analysis, and then I write the papers. Yeah. So my job is basically like say like, oh no, this this cannot be done like this. You have to make it the experiment again. Okay, we need to reproduce the experiment to confirm that it's really happening. And my uh, my part, I can do the synthesis. So for me, if you tell me, okay, I need to develop this uh, chemistry, and then uh, I can say, okay, let's mix this uh, precursors, and let's let's make it happen right but also I can determine how the microstructure of the, of the materials is and how that is affecting the properties so let's say uh, materials like thin films that can do direct water splitting which is some of the things that I have done in Mars. Mm -hmm. so you need a material with a surface area high enough to be uh, to reach like a, a certain level of efficiency and to get the, to uh, absorb the light to, yeah. to make the physical process work like ex uh, like excite an electron from the conduction to the I'm sorry from the balance band to the conduction band mm -hmm. and then those electrons being able to migrate up to the surface and then interact with water or whatever is yeah. over there right so you need a very specific thickness you need a very specific uh, type of grain sometimes if you have uh, polycrystalline materials they will behave completely different because mm -hmm. the path uh, the electrons will follow with will be different and also if you make it too thin the light will not really go mm -hmm. and take uh, advantage of the material so it will get lost probably because the, the electrons will not be able to navigate all the to diffuse all the way to the surface so there are a lot of limitations so my part of the analysis is make sure that the microstructure is fine so the material will behave as we are predictively making mm -hmm. and also we can uh, modify the properties like oh no okay if we do it like in a shape of a nano rod or if we do it in the shape of like a sphere it will be better or if we make a, a spheres made out of 
small crystals and mm. but in the in the center is hollow so then if you have voice or empty spaces then something has a chance to, to permeate a path like to the interior of the of the structure and then the, the particles will be more efficient for whatever you are trying to do so it, it depends so different projects different properties but basically it's just like explaining why uh, when you use chemical precursors uh, exposed uh, like a, to different temp temperatures pressures mm -hmm. and synthesis conditions how they will uh, produce a specific material and why this material after you measure the, the optical properties or the magnetic properties electrical properties they are behaving like that so it's yeah. more like explaining why that is happening mm -hmm. and how can you do so because as I said like in research you can do million things of combinations but perhaps they are not really useful for things right mm -hmm. so yeah so <laughs> yeah so what are the applications of some of these materials that you're fabricating like in the real world like what do you ultimately hope this material will contribute to water clean Wow. Yeah, because I think, and we are seeing it right now, like water is getting scarce yeah. worldwide. So it's like a global problem. And then we are generating more contaminants mm -hmm. than we are finding ways to solve the, the problems, right? And also, like pharmaceuticals, we are disposing a huge amount of pharmaceuticals into the water that is affecting not only the environment like the fish the algae like uh the plants that grow like how let's say you dispose of uh, pharmaceuticals on a farm and then the animals that are living in the farm they are taking out the drinking this water then also probably their their, their system is getting affected right so mm -hmm. i like the idea of helping people fabricate materials mm -hmm. that can absorb uh, pollutants from water. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of job is very, very interesting for me. And I have seen very interesting work with people developing materials that can uh, absorb heavy metals or mm -hmm. that they can work along with uh, coagulants and flocculants to make, uh, to remove as much of, as they can yeah. from the water. And also, in the same field, there are these. Uh, I don't know if you heard a word about uh, mining, uh, plant mines, where you use plants because they, in the roots, they can absorb oh. metals. So then you can create particles or yeah. you can extract the metals out of the, the plants. And there are some plants that are not necessarily needed for like specific purposes, like living purposes. So you can uh, cut those plants and then process them and recover the metals that they are absorbing so that's yeah. also very very interesting yeah what is the significance of having this nano lab here for research students particularly at, at on this campus actually that's a very good question because this campus is huge yeah and there's a lot of research going on even for you as an undergrad or even as a high high schooler some professors are open to welcome high schoolers because maybe not to make them run like big experiments, but at least to get like get them trained and get them familiar, right? So here in this campus, there's 
tons of research being done, especially medicine, because a lot of uh, the trend. I think right now I don't know if you have seen, but some of the trends are in the biomechanicals or the bio mm. engineering yeah. field because they really want to ex- like explore the the properties of the materials into the uh, and combining with the biological substances, right? So here having this on campus allows students to have direct contact with the like the instruments they need yeah. they have like a very short path so they can communicate with people and express okay I need to do this is it possible to do it here and it's very likely that you can do it here instead of you having to travel to a different city and or outsource the, the materials yeah. so I we have a lot of professors from uh, from the university working here, but also from different like Caltech, Santa Barbara. Or mm. They even have their own team rooms. But even though people come here because we have very particular machines that are, are needed for some uh, uh, projects, right? So this uh, clean room is very important, not only for the Los Angeles community, it's also important for California. Yeah. As a state. Yeah. So. What can you talk a little bit about the layout of the clean room? What kinds of machines are housed in there? Well, mm, it flows depending on what you need, but the general uh, concept is it starts with lithography. So we have a, a designated yellow, designated yellow rooms mm-hmm. where you do your lithography, and that's basically like spinning polymer on the surface and have a specific thickness depending on the speed or depending on the chemistry of the, uh, of the, the photoresist and you also have uh, in the same area you have benches that are designated for pre-cleaning or post-cleaning because remember that this is a clean room so even a piece of uh, your eyelash can damage the work so the cleaning and the pre-cleaning and the post-cleaning benches are very part of the, the process yeah. so you have also the spin coders that are designated to spin the photoresist and after that is done you, you require hot plates that can uh, assist you with the baking of the, the wafers you have also the uh, mask aligners in the same mm-hmm. room which is basically helping you transfer uh, a desired pattern into your wafer that yeah. the things that you want to fabricate so you transfer and you an aligner is basically shining light into your wafer, right? Mm-hmm. Because your polymer is photosensitive, so you can uh, transfer whatever features you want. Yeah. After that is done, you go back to the benches, you develop, and then you remove those um, parts that were not uh, of your interest, depending on your photoresist. If you have a negative or a positive resist, different parts will dissolve in the developer. And then you can decide what to do. You can either etch the areas that are not uh, covered by the polymer yeah. and remove those with an uh, etcher. Or can, uh, those are, well, etchers can be solid or, uh, I'm sorry, can be dry or wet. Mm. I think during your summer camp, you did wet etching. Yeah. So it's basically using chemicals to remove yeah. material. In our lab, that's something very nice because we have dry etchers, which mm. are the ones that are work with ionized particles mm. and, and neutral.
dogs that attack the surface and they remove mm -hmm. and then uh, or you can coat your wafer with a layer you can do like a, a nitride you can do oxides you can do pure metals so it, it depends on what you need right but it's basically the general idea is that so and then you can uh, do um, a lift off lift off is basically removing the metal that you don't want in the, the areas that are um, covered by the polymer, right? And then uh, you can keep processing. You can either go to the next step, which can be develop, I'm sorry, doing lithography again and adding a different layer, or you can go do a different etching tool. And, and so depending on what you need, but basically we have tools for doing the cleaning, the benches, the lithography, mask aligners. Uh, we also have the pre-etchers and then we have the evaporators, we have the sputter systems and uh, plasma systems for uh, adding in films or, or layers into your substrate. We have also ALDs, which is uh, atomical layer deposition. It's, all of them are uh, to make films at the yeah. surface different uh, microstructures because all of them they have uh, different conditions so they the grains will be different so whatever you need you need to select which tool you yeah you use yeah and then those are when one person is doing all the fabrication but we also have automated tools that mm. you can use you can program the tool like a yeah. track coder so you can program the tool so it does all the lithography for you you go to a machine you expose your wafer and, and then you develop it again with the same uh, track machine that is doing all the programming and then yeah. you continue to do your, your steps like etching and everything most of those are in the lab are not automated so the person has to do it because it's not like a lab scale facility but if you go to Intel or to Amazon they all everything is running like in series right yeah and just people watching and making sure that the pressing buttons and making sure the tools run. Yeah. So we have tools that can be run by one person or tools that can be programmed and just run like yeah. continuously. So yeah. we have that capability and we also have very nice furnaces that can uh, grow high quality films mm. surface and that's it. We have people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I remember when I was touring, there was a section that was like all white light and then there was a break and there's a section with yellow light. So can you talk a little bit about why those two different types of light and like what does that mean or symbolize and why do you need those? Yes, so it's actually, that actually has to be with the lithography process. So you remember that when you are trying to transfer a, a pattern, you are uh, adding a photoresist. Photoresist means that it's sensitive to light. Yeah. It's, a, it's a chemical that is sensitive to light. So white light is a combination of wavelengths of uh, like yeah. a range, right? Like yeah. it is like a spectrum. That's why it's called a spectrum. So it has uh, from UVA to infrared light. So mm -hmm. all the colors, even if you don't see the UVA or the infrared, they are there, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, also depending on the nature of the lattice. So, if you see a white uh, LED, it will be different to the one of the ball 
lands that you see yeah. in the stores or also the lands that the, the long lands uh, mm-hmm. that work with ballots the, 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 the spectrum will be different yeah. right but in general they will have wavelengths that are in the this range yeah so uh, wavelengths will damage will can damage or affect your mm. your photo if uh, you are working in the white area uh-huh. so that's why you have to limit the wavelength to only one so that's why you have a narrow uh, yellow uh, range of wavelengths right because yellow is not only one it's yeah. like probably like 10 nanometers wide mm. so you limit the wavelength to that and you limit the amount of damage that you are doing actually if you check at the documents for each photoresist it will tell you how much the wavelength will affect how much uh, will be absorbed right uh. and in general um, that's how you can uh, work safely and actually the microscopes when you are checking your pattern in the microscope you need to apply a filter because the filter will also reduce the damage that you are doing if you are doing quick checks mm-hmm. to make sure that you transfer correctly your, your pattern yeah so that's that's why they the rooms they need different yeah. light sources and i know it's kind of tiring for the eye especially when i was working eight hours yeah in the, in the clean room it's very very tiring to be working there but it is necessary right? yeah so then uh when you turn when you go to the mask aligner or when you are ready to do your tra- to transfer your pattern the the wavelength that is uh, helping you transfer is only one Mm-hmm. So it, it is in the uh, UV region, which is usually 365 nanometers or 405 nanometers, which all of them are UVA light. So, and that will be the light that will help the chemicals in the in the photoresist uh, crosslink or do not crosslink, depending mm-hmm. if it's positive resist or yeah. negative resist. And then it's basically just protecting your process, mm-hmm. uh, minimizing the damage or when are transferring your pattern. Yeah. So, how is the clean room kept clean, uh, kept as a clean room, and what are some of the things you have in place to prevent any contamination? Well, the first one, and I think you saw it, is make sure that people are always gowned. Yeah. 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 Like, gloves uh, before you enter, actually, the gowning room, you need to wear gloves, hairnet, and shoe cover other clean rooms they will not let you go in if you don't even have booties and hoodies mm-hmm. so you need an entire hood or and boots like made out of the same material that your gown is made out of mm-hmm. so that's the main thing one of the things that people do not pay attention is that when they are wearing the gown they do not wear gloves so they are touching their gowns with their hands and they may, they might be transferring whatever they have like flakes or dust or Mm-hmm. right so that's the first thing wear gloves shoe covers hair nets and everything that is needed then if you are bringing anything from the outside wipe it out mm-hmm. you will you, you need to wipe it out with the lint free wipers so you can uh, minimize the risk of transfer to something yeah also uh goggles safety goggles always and we even before pandemic working in a clean room requires a face mask that's mandatory it's yeah. not a comp- like it's not uh, optional then the next thing is that uh, when you enter the clean room there is a shower that right now I don't think because of COVID is active but it's basically like it lowers like sending air to you so 
whatever you have around is you get yeah. and then you pass into the table mm-hmm. and there we we have this uh, at the bottom of the building you have openings uh, each room has openings at the bottom and why that works because we have air pushing down we have a pressure uh, going pushing air down and then going through the vents yeah. up and circulating uh-huh. and on the top we have HEPA filters which are the high efficiency particular particulate air filters mm. they remove uh, I think micron size I think half a micron size wow. particles mm-hmm. so and then basically you are recirculating the same air and to compensate you put uh, uh, fresh air uh, I think it's like uh, about 5% of fresh air every time the cycle is completed so most of the time you are just recirculating the same mm-hmm. air and that's the way you can remove particles over and over because mm. you are using the same air yeah yeah so that's basically <laughs> wow that's that's very cool so I think we have the speed round coming up okay. so it's just five very quick questions not related to science at all so First question is, what is your favorite food? I love food, so it's hard to say, but um, there's a Mexican dish called mole. Mm. Uh, that one is my favorite. Mm. And, uh, I think sushi. Wow, <laughs> nice. Do you ever eat food on campus, by the way? Yes, I do. In, I, in the dining hall? or? No. So, I don't know if you heard, but the dining... Uh, Hall for the student is number one in the nation. Mm. It's very very good. But I have a trick. If you go to the Ronald Reagan, Reagan Hospital, they have a common like a dining area for the patients and also for the staff. That food is the same quality <laughs> as over there. It's super cheap, mm. very very cheap, mm. and it's very good. <laughs> so next is what is your favorite thing to drink? Mm, Coca Cola. Mm. What is your favorite color? Blue. What is your favorite color to wear? Dark blue. Mm. Uh, What is your favorite weekend activity? Going to the movie theater. Mm. Um, And the last one is, do you have a book you recommend to everyone? I have some. uh, So the first book is In Search of Schrodinger's Cat. Mm. by John Gribbin, mm. which is basically telling you a lot of people in science and how they made discoveries, but it also tells you like very f- uh, fun facts. Mm. So it's not a typical history book, it actually captivates you to the, yeah. to the, like, the history. It's very, very, mm-hmm. I think it's very, very good. and then you get to learn from different people like yeah. Newton or uh, Marie Curie mm-hmm. like big persons like that yeah so that one and then the other one is the demon haunted world from Carl Sagan mm. that one is also very interesting because it kind of laughs of what us as humans believe mm-hmm. uh, like our strange beliefs like when people believe, were believing in the those um, drawings that appear in England on the grass, I don't know mm. if you heard of this, but it back like 
10 or 15 uh-huh. years ago, those were like a huge thing in the news. Mm-hmm. So he laughs of how ignorant we are yeah. when we believe in these things and uh-huh. we don't pay attention into those facts. Yeah. So, and I like both of those books because they open your mind of making you like a critical thinker. Like, yeah. do not believe just because you want to believe. Uh-huh. It's just like really look into what can be on the side. Like, yeah why you shouldn't be seeing those things as, as real facts in yeah yeah it's change it changes your perspective is that yeah it? yeah and i have one final question what do you hope listeners will take away from this conversation today i think the most important thing is that be open mm. and trying to learn from everything and do not close your mind to the idea of you have to be only one thing Mm. you can be anything and you can mix and change paths and because you don't know what is out there and I think from your previous uh, interview the interviews that I have heard from your podcast I think everyone agrees that they never expected to ended up doing what they do right now yeah so just search what you think you like and and enjoy it yeah that's it and don't think because you are poor or because you you come from an undeserved uh, population you cannot reach mm. things so always uh, approach to others that have achieved things that you can yeah achieve that's a great lesson so thank you so much for your time it was really nice meeting you and talking to you um, and I really enjoyed this conversation so thank you thank you Therese yeah. this was very nice <laughs> thank you